I want to thank you for subscribing to our podcast and for listening today. Feel free if you would like uh, to rate and review us. Uh, we would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor or if you would want more information about our church, you can text CONNECT to 903-586-6520 and we will uh, certainly follow up with you. If you would like to uh, support the ministry here at, at Fellowship Bible Church, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, we have worked hard to improve our, our video quality and our online capabilities so that you can watch us during this uh, difficult time away safely from a distance. So uh, if, you would, if you would like to support the ministry here, you can text GIVE to the same number, 903 586-6520. We would greatly appreciate your support. And again, thank you for listening in. When you look at the world around you, what do you see? Often as we go through our day, we have our heads down, our noses to the grindstone, and we're plowing straight ahead as the sayings go. But do you ever pause Look up and take in the world around you, and if so, what do you see? Do you see a fallen world in need of a Savior? Do you see a people in need of rescue? When you look at the world around you, do you see a people racing toward their destruction, worshiping everything but the one true God, and if so, are you moved within your spirit to act and share the good news of Jesus with them? The Apostle Paul was. In our study of God's Word this morning, I want you to notice Paul's example as he engaged the people of Athens and shared the good news of Jesus with them. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 17. The book of Acts can be viewed as the sequel to Luke's gospel. Whereas Luke's gospel gives the account of Jesus' earthly ministry, the book of Acts gives Luke's account of the continuation of Jesus' ministry through his followers. His narrative serves as a reliable account to all Christians of the events that represent the beginnings of the church. This morning, we will be reading from chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. At this point in Luke's account, the apostle Paul, along with Silas and Timothy, had been traveling from town to town as directed by the Holy Spirit, delivering the gospel to those who would hear, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. He had been in the city of Berea where the listeners were eagerly receiving the gospel with many believing. But when the wicked and jealous Jews from Thessalonica heard of their progress, they came to stir up crowds and ultimately forced Paul out of Berea. The brothers then took Paul to the city of Athens. This city, a place that Paul knew of since childhood, was well known throughout the world. It was the birthplace of democracy in the Olympic Games. It was full of beautiful art and architecture. 
The Romans were so impressed with it that although under Roman rule, Athens was allowed to exist as a free city. Unfortunately, Athens was also a religious epicenter, claiming deity to a number of false gods. Statues of these mythical gods filled the city. Athens was named after the mythical Greek goddess Athena. She was one of the 12 major mythological deities known as the Olympians that made up the Greek pantheon. The name alone gives you an idea of the spiritual condition of Athens. As we pick up in verse 16, Paul is looking out over this once great city that was now just a shadow of its former self at what some theologians call a forest of idols. As Paul takes in this sight, his spirit is provoked within him and he acts with purpose to share the gospel with the people of this idolatrous city. He goes first to the synagogue and then to the marketplace where he's engaged by some of Athens' religious leaders and philosophers. Wanting to know more about Paul's claims, they took him before the Areopagus, where he was asked to address the religious and political elites. And there Paul gave his famous speech about the unknown God. As we study God's Word this morning and consider Paul's response to what he saw in Athens, I want you to see three main points. I want you to consider Paul's internal reaction, Paul's external response, and Paul's evangelistic approach. Point number one, Paul's internal reaction. Look with me at the text in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. The city of Athens was well known for its magnificent art and architecture. It was full of sculptures and statues and incredibly designed structures unparalleled throughout the world. These items were beautiful to look at. They were formed from gold and silver and marble and they were decorated with brilliant colors. These images are still celebrated today. Unfortunately, these works of art were created as tribute to mythical gods. And they were used for worshiping them. Most of the beautiful structures in Athens were built as temples to these false gods. And to make matters worse, some were used as schools to teach philosophies that contradict the truths of Scripture. The text tells us what Paul felt as he took in the sight of this city full of idols. Luke uses the Greek word paroxuno to describe Paul's reaction. The ESV translates it as his spirit was provoked within him. The NLT translates it as he was deeply troubled. Paul was deeply troubled when he looked out across this city and saw these idols because he knew what it meant. It meant that the people of Athens were worshiping them instead of the one true God, the only one truly worthy of our worship. As Paul looked out across this city and saw how the Athenians attributed the holy name of God to the very elements he had created, 
It irritated him. God, the one true God, the God who created the universe and everything in it deserves to be revered as holy. And He alone is worthy of our worship. Who or what do you worship? Do you worship the one true God? My prayer for you is that you do. Paul knew the Athenians were headed for destruction. He knew that if something did not change, if they continued on the path they were on, they had only God's wrath to look forward to in eternity. And knowing this stirred Paul's compassion for the Athenians and moved him to act. Is this your response? When you see the lost around you, is this how you respond? Are you deeply troubled when you see God's holy name attributed to things other than Him and who He truly is? Are you moved by compassion for the lost to act and share the truth of who God is with them? Another word we need to look at here is the Greek word katedolos. In the ESV, this word is translated full of idols, but it also means given to idols. Luke uses this adjective to show that the city was not just full of idols, but it was under these idols, both physically and spiritually. The people of Athens were giving themselves over to the worship of these idols and these false gods. They were not like the little statues you see in some local restaurants today that are used only as decoration. The statue of Athena in the Parthenon stood 38 feet tall. To the Athenians, these idols represented powerful deities that literally ruled over their lives. We see this in our world today. There are people all around us giving their worship over to other things than the one true God. Again, who do you worship? Do you know the one true God? Do you know King Jesus? Let me tell you about him. The one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sent his son Jesus, God in the flesh, to live a life free of sin, lay it down willingly at the cross and take it up again three days later to pay the penalty for our sins and give us the gift of eternal life if we will only put our faith and trust in Him, repent from our sins, turn from them and follow Him. And follow Him. The Apostle Paul was following Him. Are you following Him today? Have you given your life up and over to King Jesus? If not, my prayer for you is that you will do that today. Earlier I mentioned that we often have our heads down and we're focused on our own busy lives. Believers, do you ever look up? Do you ever pause and take notice of the world around you? Or are you too busy with your daily life? Do you see that the world is full of people in need of hearing the truth? And if so, are you moved to act? This brings me to my second point. We looked at Paul's internal reaction. Now let us look at Paul's 
external response. Look with me at verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul was intentional about his response. The text says he went to the synagogue and to the marketplace every day. As was his pattern, he went first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But notice that Paul intentionally put himself in places where he could share the gospel and reason with people. The marketplace served as a center of public life for the Athenians. They met there every day to discuss the latest news and all manner of subjects. It was filled with government buildings, offices, and altars to the Athenians' false gods. And there were also colonnades and stoas, structures where students and teachers would gather. The Apostle Paul was fishing. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Paul was fishing for men. And he was a good fisherman. He had strategic places to go to to make sure that he had encounters so he could share the gospel with others. Where is your fishing hole? Where is that place for you? Believers, are you following Christ and catching men for God? Proverbs 24, 11, Rescue those being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Paul made himself available to be used by God to reach the lost in hope of rescuing them from death and holding them back from stumbling to the slaughter. Believers, are you on a rescue mission? Are you holding back the lost from stumbling to the slaughter? As Paul spoke, two groups known as the Epicureans and the Stoics who represented leading schools of that day engaged him. Look with me at verses 18 through 20. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said... What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. The first group mentioned here, the Epicureans, were a group of philosophers who believed that everything came from atoms or particles of matter. And anything human simply turned back into matter at the point of death. They believed that humans ceased to exist when they died and there was no life after death. One of the consequences of holding to this belief is the embrace of hedonism. It's meant that they judged all things in terms of the pain or pleasure it brought. And so their goal in life was to avoid pain and seek pleasure. Does this sound familiar to you? It should. This, in, this idea is embraced by many in our culture today. Just do whatever makes you feel good. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, what's the problem? Right? We hear this all the time. The problem is it does hurt people. 
It hurts those who are given over to it. Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. We don't simply live, die, and cease to exist. There will be a judgment. Romans 14.10-11, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. We will answer to God for everything we did in this life. And God's word says we are all guilty. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And tragically, those who reject God will receive His wrath. John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So I told you about the bad news. Let me tell you about the good news. God provided a way for us to be reconciled to him through the person and work of his son Jesus. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you received this gift? Have you believed in the Son? Where will you stand with God on the day of judgment? Have you given your life over to Him? If not, I pray that you will wait no longer, that you will give your life to Him today. The second group, the Stoics. They were pantheists who believed that everything was God. They believed the divine principle was found in all things, the universe, the people, the animals, the plants, everything in existence. They believed that they were connected with all things, including the gods, plural. And therefore, humans could reach their full potential through reason. Pantheism leads to pluralism, and pluralism is the belief that there are many paths to God. Pantheists believe that God is all, and all is God, so they believe that all roads lead to God. Now, this belief should sound familiar as well. You've probably heard it many times before. All paths lead to God, right? Our culture is saturated with this belief. There are even some who call themselves Christian pastors who teach this very concept. There's just one problem. This. The Bible. The Word of God. This is truth. If you want to find truth, look no further than right here. And it teaches just the opposite. It teaches that there are many paths to destruction. But only one way to God. It teaches that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. John 4... 14, 6. Believers, you know this verse well. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to God. Which way are you going this morning? Are you listening to and believing the truth? Are you going the way that leads to life? This brings me to my third and final point. We looked at Paul's internal reaction. We looked at Paul's external response. 
Now let us look at Paul's evangelistic approach. Look with me at verses 22 through 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The people of Athens literally had gods for everything. They had gods of war, gods of the sea, gods of the air, gods of the vegetation, and the list goes on and on. They even made an altar to an unknown God just to make sure they had all their bases covered. But notice how Paul uses their altar to the unknown God as a point of contact. He meets them where they are and from there he proceeds to tell them about the God that they don't know, the one true God. He explains to them that God is not formed by nor contained by Man, rather it is he who forms and contains. It is he who creates man and through his sovereignty, he sets boundaries of times and places of existence. Why? So that they would seek him, perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, Paul says. And he tells them, quoting some of their own poets, which serves as another point of contact from which to build a bridge that God is not far from each of us because it is in Him that we live and move and have our being because we are His offspring. Now I want to point out here that when Paul includes them as His offspring, he means that they were created by Him. This is not to be confused with the idea that they were being called children of God. You often hear people say, we are all God's children, right? As if to say that you're in God's grace simply because you're a human being. But God's word is clear that only those who believe in his son and give their lives up and over to him are given this title. John 1.12 But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you believed 
in His name? Have you received Him? Have you been given the right to become a child of God? Paul goes on to tell them that because they were created by God, that they should not think of Him as an image formed by the imagination of man. Often we see people attempt to shape God into who they want Him to be. They treat Him like an a la carte meal. They, they take what they want off the cart and they say no thank you to the rest. They often embrace certain ideas from various religions as the Athenians did. Use their imagination as an attempt to shape God into who they think He should be. Imagine the created presuming to shape the Creator. We cannot shape God into who we want Him to be any more than we can spin the universe into existence. Rather, it is He who shapes us. The Lord told Jeremiah, You are the clay in the potter's hands, and I am the potter. Paul tells them that God has set a, a judgment day for the world and has appointed His Son Jesus as the one who will judge in righteousness. First, God sent Him to prepare us for the judgment, and now we await His return for the judgment. And His return is just as certain as the resurrection itself. Time is running out. Judgment is coming. It could be today. We're not promised another moment. Where do you stand? Paul was on a mission to share the gospel with the people headed for destruction. He went to them, saw their need, and looked for common ground. He gained an audience with them and he used the opportunity to share the gospel. He told them about the coming judgment and their need for repentance and he told them about Christ and the resurrection. His example serves as a model for us to follow. This is what our missionaries do. This is what we need to do in our everyday lives. Believers, are you doing this in your daily life? While I want to encourage you to support our mission work abroad through prayer, financial contributions, and physically going if possible, I want to stress the point that the mission field is all around you. The Athenians were worshiping everything other than the one true living God. We see this in our culture every day. It's all around us. Who has God placed in your path to minister to? Are you finding common ground with unbelievers, building bridges and making every effort to lead them to Christ? What about your family, your children, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers? Believers, the lost that God has placed in your path are headed for destruction, for eternal destruction. And you have in your possession their only means of escape. The Apostle Paul said this to the church in Rome. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we know it as the Great Commission. Jesus said this to His disciples, Go and make disciples of all nations. 
believers are you making disciples? Equipping them so they can go and make other disciples. It's not just the job of the pastor. It's not just the job of the teachers. It's the job of everyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. One last thing, and I'll close with this. Notice that there are three different reactions to Paul's message. Look with me again at the text in verses 32 through 34. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So we see that some mocked. Know this, believers, that if you proclaim Christ, you will be mocked. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. If you represent Christ and share the gospel with others, you will be mocked. They mock Jesus. If you're following Him, you'll be mocked. But it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. The second reaction was that others said, we will hear you again about this. These people didn't profess Christ that day, but they weren't closed to the gospel. They wanted to hear more. And sometimes leading others to Christ requires investment. We live in a results now culture where we want instant results, but sometimes leading people to Christ requires investing our resources over time. But it's an investment worth making. So it's a risk worth taking, and it's an investment worth making. Third response, some believed. Where do you stand with the Lord Jesus this morning? Have you given your life up and over to Him? Remember in verse 30, Paul told the Athenians that God commands all people everywhere to repent. Have you repented? Have you turned from your sins and given your life up and over to the Lord Jesus? The world follows everything but the one true God. Who are you following this morning? Are you going the way of the world, the way of destruction? Or are you going the way of life? Have you, have you placed your faith and trust in the only one who can save and give eternal life? Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're listening online. You don't know this Jesus that I speak of. Maybe you've heard of Him. Maybe you even attend church. Or maybe you even serve. But you haven't truly given your life to Him. I've been there. Y'all heard my testimony. If this is you, my prayer for you today is that you would recognize that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. I pray that you would cry out for God to forgive you. Put your faith and trust and the work that Jesus did on the cross, accept His free gift of eternal life, repent, turn from your sins, give your life up and over to Him, and be saved. Let's pray together.